I don't even know where to begin. First, let me say thank you to Nick and our worship team. What a great, great time of worship. <clears throat> I know they have been preparing and, and did a fabulous job this morning, so thank you for your leadership and all that. And uh, As far as our children, I don't know to, score, to, uh, to, to scold the parents or scold our children's workers or what, well, but man, that was just, that was funny. Let's say that, that was funny. Uh, we do have to talk about some Bibles. If your Bible said that Mary's stomach hurt and she was complaining, I believe that is adding to the actual New Testament, which brings a lot of curses upon your life. So I would throw that Bible in the trash, if you will. Speaking of Bible, take yours and turn with me to Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to set the record straight this morning on the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2. I'm actually going to preach a message I was planning to preach last Sunday, but it fits so well with what we just have uh, witnessed and been a part of in singing about the peace that Jesus brings into our life. So I believe it dovetails well. Uh, we are, during this Christmas season, our, our plan was to, we gave these, those Advent devotionals, and hopefully you're using those, but my plan was to, to really try to preach around the subject, the topic of the Sunday that corresponds with the devotion. And so last Sunday, the days that surrounded that really spoke of the peace, and so that's where I was going to go. And today, my intention was to speak on the gift of Jesus to us being his permission, his access that he grants to be in relationship with him. But I want to speak to my peace this morning. And really, this is a subject that we need for salvation. It's also a subject that we just need for uh, not just eternal salvation, but living in that salvation each and every day because life is anything but peaceful. Uh, in the, one of the songs that we sang this morning, that our worship team sang this morning, you saw images of tanks and, and riot gear and, and just the things, the atrocities and the difficulties we find uh, living in this world. We know that life is peaceless, it's restless, it's difficult. And even as we come to the Christmas season, many times Christmas is better described as being chaotic rather than peaceful. There's so many things that go around the Christmas season. I would dare say this morning that it's one of, if not the busiest seasons of the year. I mean, you're running from Christmas party to Christmas party. You're buying presents. You're doing all of these different things. My wife and I, yesterday, were at two Christmas parties. We're going to another one this evening, and we've got other things happening the rest of this week. And so our life, like your life, is busy this time of year. I mean, there's decorations to hang. If you haven't done that yet, you probably need to get to it. But there's decorations to hang. There's shopping lists to create, presents to wrap, parties to attend, relatives to connect with, and meals to cook. And so Christmas can be chaotic. And Christmas for a lot of families is anything but peaceful. So how do we find peace in this season of peace? This word peace is often thrown around and talked about a lot this time of year, this season of the year. We read it on Christmas cards. We see it in decorations. Sometimes the word peace is even lit up in lights on a side of a house or even on a building downtown. And so in all of the busyness, in all of the chaos, how on earth are we to find peace in life? Where are we to find peace 
in the midst of Christmas. Perhaps your Christmas looks a lot like Amy Carroll. Amy Carroll, I saw this blog post a couple weeks ago, and so in this blog post that I found, she shares this story from her own experience in her family, and I want to share it with you this morning because I think it speaks to a lot of our situations, especially this time of year. She writes and says this, we all started well. My husband, our two boys, and me. Peaceful and focused as we decorated early in December. Christmas music played in the background. We sipped eggnog from the red glass teacups I snagged at a a sale. And boxes of decorations from the attic were lining the walls around the room. But it started to go downhill over Christmas tree lights. A squabble erupted over a tangled string of bulbs. Then someone turned on the football game and the sound of the TV clashed with the music from the stereo. Instead of sharing lovely stories of the ornament's histories as we hung each one of them, my boys began to make fun of the 70s style baubles from my childhood. Our peaceful tradition of tree trimming fell apart faster than you could say mama's in a snit. Maybe, that's a funny expression by the way, maybe they should just... Maybe they just got distracted, or maybe it was the maternal growls and snarls that drove them away. But suddenly, I found myself sitting alone on the floor in front of the tree. Frustrated, I fiercely gave the tree a yank to position it for another ornament and timber. The tree fell on me and drove a metal rod from one of the artificial branches into my arm. That's when it happened. Out of my mouth popped some of the overflow of a peace-deprived heart, a big, fat, four-letter word, which brought my family back into the room. To this day, there's one favorite Christmas story at my house. It's not the gift of the Magi or the Polar Express. It's not even how the Grinch stole Christmas that makes the cut. Our family's favorite story is titled, The Day Mom Cussed When the Christmas Tree Fell on Her. (laughs) Amy goes on to say, I'm not proud of this story. As Scripture says, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. My outburst revealed what was in my heart, overload, frustration, and anger. I'd love to blame the stressful circumstances, but the truth is there was something missing inside of me. Consider this. The circumstances of the first Christmas were very stressful too. There was an unmarried, pregnant teenager. There was a scared but faithful fiancé. There was no room in the inn. There were smelly animals and scratchy straw. There was an unidentified star in the sky. Yet God gave the gift of prevailing peace in that story. And in the same way, he longs to give our hearts the gift of peace. See, Amy Carroll's story looks a lot like our story. It's stressful this time of year. It's stressful in our lives the rest of the year. We, we deal with financial problems. We deal with the, the worry about how our world is, is moving or where it's moving to. All the things in our life that's happening with our family and finances and friends and what's going on at work, all of these things create stress. And So how are we to find peace in this type of season? Well, we see the story here in Luke chapter 2. What our children try to describe for us, what we've sung about this morning. But here in Luke chapter 2, we see a picture of these angels visiting some shepherds out on the hillside, declaring that peace has come into the world. So if you've got your copy of God's Word, look with me there, <clears throat> beginning in verse 8. Luke tells us that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were all filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Can you imagine being there on this particular night? What a sight it would have been. For both the angels as well as the shepherds. Sometimes I think the angels get passed over on their uh, struggle to understand that their amazement at what they are witnessing. Here are the angels created by God who've dwelled with him in heaven. And they were surely amazed as they saw the creator become a creature. They saw the word become a speechless baby. Luke here tells us, that an angel gave the first announcement of the Messiah's birth. And he did, to, did so to these anonymous shepherds. We don't know their name. We don't know what town they were from, what village they were from. All we know these, was these shepherds were out on the hillside caring and tending for their flock. And the angel announced the arrival of the Messiah. Raises a question, why did the angel visit the shepherds? Why didn't the angel go and visit priests? Or why didn't he go to the scribes? Why did he go to the shepherds? Perhaps it's because by going to the shepherds and visiting them, the angel there was revealing the grace of God coming to mankind, not just to the elite, but to everybody. You see, shepherds were not the uh, top of the run when it came to the social ladder of Israel. Shepherds were anything but the uh, the prominent people, they were basically outcasts within their culture. Their work made them ceremonially unclean. It kept them away from the temple so that they could not become clean by ceremonial cleansing. So the angel visits them. Surely his visit frightened them as they were there on the side of the hill. Their immediate fear that we see here in the text is indicative of the lack of peace in their own lives. They saw something they've never seen before, and all of a sudden the fear within them wells up and it speaks of their lack of peace. It is in this restlessness and fear that the angel declares the good news of the gospel. And this morning, as we sit here in our chaos and we sit here in, in our fearfulness, the gospel speaks to us and it brings us joy. It brings us a sense uh, of the knowledge of God that he loves us and cares for us and is drawing us closer to himself. A baby is born, the angel declares, in Bethlehem. And not only is this baby born in Bethlehem, the angel declares to these shepherds that he is Savior and Lord. He's the one who will bring peace to their chaotic hearts. Luke goes on to tell us that the shepherds immediately left their flocks and they went in search of what they had been told by the angel. They looked for a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And surely there in that packed village called Bethlehem, there was only one baby that met those qualifications. Lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes, 
wasn't hard to find. So after finding and encountering the baby, just as they had been told, Luke tells us the shepherds took the place of the angels. And rather than just the angels glorifying and praising God, now we see these shepherds glorifying and praising God. And then verse 20 ends with the shepherds humbly returning to their duties. But now they're not just the way they used to be. They're new men going back to the same old job with peace in their hearts. Something radically had transformed in their life. And this is exactly what we all long for in our own lives, is it not? We want peace in our life. We want God to to, to calm this turmoil, calm the mess in our lives. We want to experience the peace of God. We long for rest. We long for security. We want our lives to be transformed. We want peace today, and we also want peace in eternity. This morning, I've got good news for you. I've got the good news that the angel declared good news of great joy for all this morning. Jesus is your peace, and Jesus is my peace, and this morning he offers it freely to us as a gift. And so this morning, I want to share with you three truths in regards to this gift that Jesus wants to give you, the gift of my peace. Truth number one, there is a need for peace. We see here in the text that there is a great need in the human heart, and in this world riddled with sin, there is a need for peace. Look at verse 14. Here's what the heavenly host breaks out in song there in the, in the sky, and they begin to declare through song, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those whom he has pleased. Peace. They're calling for peace. They're declaring peace. They're, 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 they're pointing out that there's a need for peace in this world. And so this angelic choir erupts in this heavenly worship of the Lord Jesus. And what they are doing in this worship is declaring peace on earth. This declaration of peace indicates that there had been no peace among men. You see, in every generation of mankind, there has been a warring against one another. Men fighting against men. Men struggling with other men. Fighting for land. Fighting for wealth. Fighting and positioning themselves for authority. We've seen throughout the history of humankind, mankind, that there has been this battle and this warring, people killing one another, stealing from one another, hoarding from one another, and oppressing others, doing all of this in order to obtain what they wanted at the exclusion of someone else. We see in our culture even today how others will put people or put themselves ahead of other people. So there was no peace then and there's no peace today between men. But likewise, we see in the Scripture, we see in our own lives that there was no peace in men. There's no peace between men. There's also no peace within men. You see, peace evaded the wealthy as well as the poor. Peace, or the lack of peace, is no respecters of position. Both the wealthy and both the poor are restless. Men and women were jealous of one another. They struggled to be satisfied. This internal war within the human heart, James tells us in James chapter 4, is what leads us to quarrel and to fight and and, and to steal and to do all of the things that we do to jockey for position. Peace is gone. When did that happen? If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, you see there in the Garden of Eden that when Adam and Eve took of that forbidden fruit, of that forbidden tree, and when they ate of that fruit... That's when the peace that mankind so longs for today was lost. Their peace with God became to nothing. Therefore, the peace that they experienced within themselves and within their relationship with one another, all of that ceased to exist. 
Man was then separated from God because of his sin. So there in Genesis 3, what we see is the friend of God now is the enemy of God. There is no longer peace. There's no longer relationship. There's no longer friendship. Now there is nothing but enmity and hatred and quarreling and jockeying for position. And today, every person in this world carries the curse of Adam in their hearts. The Bible tells us that we are all born sinners in rebellion against God. Uh, We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. But there in Ephesians 2.13, Paul tells us that because of sin in our life, this curse that we all carry that's been passed down from Adam to generation after generation after generation personifies itself in this way that we are far from God. Far from God. And so far from God people are far from God because of our sin, the sin that separates us from the one who is not only our creator, but he's also the one who longs to be our savior. But our sin stands in front of us. And so this morning, as we sing about peace and we long for peace, we need to understand that there is a need for peace in our life. And the reason we long for it is indicative of the fact that we don't have it, but Jesus stands there to bring those of us who are far from him into relationship with him today. And that leads us to a third truth. A third truth that would speak against the hostility that was, was, is within our lives. Second truth is this. There is a way for peace. There is a way for peace. Look at verse 11. The angel there speaking to these shepherds says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This baby born into a Bethlehem manger that this angel is declaring to the shepherds is no ordinary baby. He's not just like a regular baby born into that culture. No, there's something divinely different about this baby boy. The Bible would tell us about Jesus that he is both God and man. He is the God man. He's not partially God and partially man. No, he's 100% God, 100% man. Come as our Emmanuel, God with us. There is something divine about Jesus. And the angel declares to these shepherds that he is Savior, he is Christ, and he is Lord. He is, in other words, the one who would die a sacrificial death upon a cross. One of the things that we need to always keep in our minds as we celebrate Christmas is that Christmas is not just about a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. Christmas is about a baby born in Bethlehem who was raised up, lived a perfect life for 33 years or so, went to a sacrificial cross, allowed his blood to be shed, and was killed for your sin and for my sin, but he didn't just stay there, he rose from the dead. That's what Christmas is about. Christmas points us to Easter because if there was no Easter, there's no point in having a Christmas. That's a good place to say amen. So he's the one who would die a sacrificial death upon a cross. The Bible says here he's the one who would shed his own blood to once and for all atone for sin. Jesus, in other words, what Hebrews tells us, is going to take the place of the Levitical system. He's going to become the final sacrifice, once and for all paying the penalty for sin. He's the one, as I said, who would be buried in in a borrowed tomb. And he was the one who was to rise from the dead, never to die again. This boy's name, we know it as Jesus. He's the one who would save his people from their sins. Yeshua, he is our Savior. 
The term here speaks of one who rescues another. It's often was used of emperors or kings who would rescue their people or deliver their people from bondage. That's what Jesus does for us. He's our Savior. And this position as Savior is qualified by the other two titles that the angel declares here. He is Christ or Messiah and He is Lord. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the one prophesied by the prophets for 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 centuries before this, that there would be one who came, anointed by God, sent by God, to atone for the sin of the world. It's he who would redeem his people. And this Messiah is Lord. He's king of his people, and he's coming in the royal line of David. And it's the Savior Christ and Lord who has made a way for peace. I mentioned Ephesians chapter 2 just a moment ago. Listen to how Paul magnifies theologically what Jesus came to do for us. As we read here in Luke chapter 2 of his coming, we see what that does for us in salvation. Listen as I read from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 13 through 16. Paul says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, let me just stop there and say this. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to Gentile believers for the purpose of encouraging them, to equip them, to build them up in their faith. And so when he says statements like this or uses terms like this, those of you who are far off have been brought near, what he's saying is this. You're not a Jew. You didn't get the upper hand on theology, the upper hand on the message of the gospel. And so you were further away from God, not from a salvation standpoint, but you didn't have the the head start that a Jew did by having the word of God in the Old Testament. You were further away, but you've been brought near just like the Jews have been brought near. So you need to understand that as we read the text here. Verse 14, for he, Jesus himself, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. Remember, the two is Jew and Gentile. Now they're one in Christ, so making peace. Verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. I mentioned how Paul wrote in this letter to these Gentile believers in Ephesus and how he's writing to encourage them, to show them how Christ had united them into his church even though they did not have that head start like the Jews did. His words here help us understand that all of us, regardless of our upbringing, are far from and hostile toward God. There is a hostility between you and God if you're not in relationship with Jesus. And there's also a hostility between you and others. And Jesus came to break down the dividing wall, to to bring an end to the hostility between God, between one another, and to bring peace into our lives. And so today we can have peace with God within ourselves and with others through Jesus Christ. He is the one who has won our battle there on the cross, and this leads us to a third truth. There is not only a a need for peace and a way for peace, now there is also the gift of peace. Look at verse 10 of chapter 2 there in the Gospel of Luke. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. The angel is declaring a gift and the gift of peace to these shepherds. He says that will be for all the people. 
Not just some people, not just you select few men here on this hillside, not for some Jews down in Bethlehem and some Jews over in Jerusalem. No, it's for all the people. Great joy and peace is what I offer to them. Paul expounds it like this back in Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 17. He says, and he, again, that's Jesus He came and preached peace to you who were far off, you Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, you Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There's no distinction anymore between Gentile and Jew. We are now one in Jesus Christ. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, verse verse 19, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus preaches peace to us. Jesus, in preaching that peace, is offering to us, offering to help us find peace within our own hearts and with others and with God. You see, he doesn't just help us find it within our heart. He creates peace within our heart. See, there's no peace within your heart. You are a restless, restless person. This week I was thinking about the song that we started the service off with this morning, Heart the Herald Angels Sing. Anybody know who wrote that song? Charles Wesley wrote that song. Charles Wesley, he and his brother are the founders of what we would know as Methodism today, the Methodist church. John and Charles Wesley are English, and they grew up in a Christian home. They went to great schools. Charles actually studied at Oxford, and there at Oxford, he was a religious person. He longed to know God, and so he became so religious in his practice that he and the people who surrounded him, they became known as Methodists because of their methodology of trying to seek God and reading the Bible and praying and doing all these regiments. He became very legalistic in his approach to God. He longed to know God in his life. John, who was the younger brother of or Charles, who was the younger brother of John, uh, they both joined up with a group and came to Georgia, the colony of Georgia at that time, and there served the uh, Charles served as as an assistant to the governor. And they came for the purpose of taking the gospel to the heathen, to the Indians, in the colony of Georgia. Their time here and their first endeavor was nothing but. A disaster. It was not successful at all. Both, uh, both of them left and went back to England, distraught, burdened, uh, feeling like failures. And, and in all of that, God just began to continue to stir within Charles, as well as John, a desire to know him. And circumstances led to this. One day, Charles was teaching a Moravian Christian how to read and speak English. And this Moravian Christian began to speak into Charles Wesley's life. And Charles began to wrestle with the fact that he had no peace, even though he desired it and was striving for it religiously. And then on another occasion, I think Charles was sick, and he was at a man's house by the name of John Bray, I believe. And John Bray had given him a copy of Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. And there, Charles Wesley was reading the commentary on Galatians 2.20 where it says that I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Charles began to struggle through that and that led to him coming into relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, Bray 
or the Moravian Christian had asked him previously, is, is there peace in your life? And Charles Wesley had to testify and, and confess, there's no peace in my life, but I long for it. And then through Bray's uh, speaking into his life and the Martin Luther's commentary, Charles Wesley came to a place of understanding where there is peace in Jesus, and that peace is accessible. And so when Charles Wesley gave his life to Jesus Christ, this religious zealot, this legalist, this man who was, who was extremely diligent and methodical in his approach to God, trying to earn his way into heaven, he all of a sudden was set free in his own life, and peace flooded over him. And today, Charles Wesley is known for being the father of enmity. He is the one who wrote nearly 9,000 hymns for the church. You know when he started writing those hymns? When he came into relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, you can only write a song that speaks of the peace of God when there's peace within your own heart that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. The gift that Charles Wesley experienced is the gift that Jesus offers all of us today. He preaches peace to us. Christmas is chaotic. There's a lot going on. The peace of Christmas has a way of exposing our lack of peace. When you read text like we've read this morning, we begin to just look at the, how, how, how fretful we are. We fret over not having enough money. We fret about not having enough time. We struggle in our relationships. Some are grieving today over the loss of loved ones. And in all of this, the story of Christmas confronts us with this great reality that we lack the peace of God in our lives. We just lack it. If any of these are indicative of your life, today Jesus offers you the gift of his peace. He wants you to find peace and solidarity in him. So how do we obtain this peace that Jesus offers? We do what the shepherds did. We come to Jesus. I think it's an amazing part of this story how these shepherds who were social outcasts, who were just doing their business and... Some commentators would tell you this about shepherds, that the reason they were social outcasts is because they weren't that trustworthy. They, were, they weren't that honorable as men. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know the hearts of men because I know my own heart. We have the tensity or the tendency, the propensity to become wicked and, and self-serving. And so here are these shepherds that Jesus encounters. And when they see this angel and they go and see the baby Jesus, they can't help but have their lives transformed. They came to Jesus. Not only that, if you notice here in the text, another thing that the shepherds did is they told the story. They came to Mary and Joseph and whoever else had been there, maybe on the way into Bethlehem, they're telling the story. Hey, we were out there tending the flock and all of a sudden the angels and the heavens erupted in worship and we got to find this. Have you seen a baby wrapped in slaughtering clothes, lying in a manger? Can you direct me there? And so a, a host of people perhaps are now coming to this place where Jesus is. They're so seeking and longing for peace. They're, they want to see the Savior, the Messiah, to bring peace into their chaotic and restless lives. The angels, however, you need to know this about the story. The angels did not give these men their peace. All the angels did was simply point the way. And this morning, I can't give you peace. Your small group leader can't give you peace. Your dad can't give you peace. Grandma and her faithfulness to Jesus cannot give you peace. You have to come to Jesus on your own. 
And Jesus tells us today, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We must come to Jesus. We must listen to those who point the way, but we must come to Jesus. And the result in our own lives will be the same result we read in these, these verses. Verse 20, the shepherds go back glorifying and praising God, going back to the same old life, to the same old job, to the same old routine, but now with a transformed heart. Peace is there. How many of you want peace in your life? How many of you want rest in the midst of your chaos? How many of you who are hurting because you've lost loved one, struggling with fear and, and the unknown because of circumstances in your life and you just want to have peace? Jesus stands ready to give you that peace. He does. This morning I recognize that most of us in this room are cross followers. You've been born again. You're in relationship with Jesus. But some of you, even as a cross follower, might not be experiencing type of peace Jesus desires for your life. So how do you obtain that? Just like, the, or just like these shepherds, you look to Jesus. Remember what is most important in life. It's not getting ahead. It's not even family. And the most important thing in life is to be in relationship and in right relationship with God. Rest in Jesus today. If there's unrepentant sin in your life, you can't have peace. Confess, repent, turn from that sin. Trust Jesus to forgive it. And Jesus will restore you. This morning, if you're not in relationship with Jesus, all you need to do is follow the shepherd's example. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Lay your sin at the foot of the cross. Place your faith and trust in him, and he will bring great joy to your life. That's what the shepherds did. They searched for Jesus until they found him. And today, I wonder how many of us will search for Jesus and find the peace of God that Jesus desires to give to us. I love the story of Charles Wesley. In fact, I, I've been thinking about it all week, and so I actually did some research on it the last few days. It's just a wonderful picture. I guess I like it because it's, it's reminiscent of my own conversion experience. Being in church, being a very religious church member, a very religious small group leader, a very religious and diligent student of God's Word, and yet all the while being lost. Restless, chaotic, Anything but peace would be how I would describe my life before coming to Jesus. But when Jesus came into my life, there was peace. And I literally, because I was converted at work, I literally got up off my knees. I was in the bathroom in the showroom of the warehouse I worked in. I got up off of my knees. And I experienced the peace of God in my life. And I went back to work as a new James Taylor. The only thing that changed in my life is the most important thing. My relationship with God changed. My eternal address changed. My future changed because of what Jesus did in my life. Jesus did it for Charles. Jesus did it for the shepherds. Jesus had done it in my life. He's done it for many people in this room. Will he do it for those who have yet to put their faith and trust in him? Even as a Christian, there are days that are restless. When my eyes come off Jesus, there's no longer peace. This morning, let's put our eyes upon Jesus and experience his peace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for being a God who deeply desires to bring peace into our hearts. Lord, you know the struggles that we all face. You know the struggles that we're going through even at this moment. God, so many times uh, people will come to church and, and it's, been a, it's been hell on wheels coming into the campus of our church, but all of a sudden the doors fling open and our ch faces change and we put the smile on and we fake it for a few hours. But God, we're restless. 
Some are restless because they're hostile towards you. Though they're religious, they're, they've never had a transformation take place in their life. Others are restless this morning, even as Christians, because for whatever reason, they allowed the, the cares of this world to, to get their eyes off of you. But this morning, we all need the peace of God. I pray that you bring us to a place of faith, of repentance, of trust, of belief, of refocusing our attention and fixing our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, restore us, remake us, renew us this morning. May we experience the peace of God that transforms lives. You did it for the shepherds. God, you want to do it today for us. Bless us this morning as we move into a time of response. Open our hearts and our minds to Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Won't you stand across the room?